Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for July 11th, 2018. The Gestalt IT Rundown is your weekly source for news um, and feedback and analysis of everything going on in the technology industry. Uh, as you might notice, my name is not Rich Truffolino. Uh, Rich is out of the office today, so I will be taking the rundown solo. My name is Tom Hollingsworth. Uh, I am a co-host of the of this news program. I, uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Networking Nerd. You can also follow us at gestaltit.com. So without further ado, let's jump into some of the things that are making headlines today. So the first thing that we have um, is a update from Microsoft. <clears throat> Mary Jo Foley over at ZDNet is reporting that Microsoft is going to start delivering um, two updates to their Dynamics 365 CRM platform per year. For those of you uh, keeping track at home, this does bring their release cadence into the same, um, same thing as uh, Windows 10 and Office 365. Uh, I think that this is probably one of those things that Microsoft is doing to help provide a little bit of value for people that are trying to buy, buy a um, yearly license subscription, just like they do with Office 365. So people are going to get a couple of new features every year. Um, they're going to get a variety of bug fixes, and things are not going to blow up in their faces. Um, unlike an Office suite, however, this is a huge CRM platform. And for those of you at home who have installed CRM platforms, you know they're not the most comfortable things to work on. So Microsoft is trying a few new things here. They're importing some of the features that they have in Windows 10 that allow you to kind of defer some updates. Now that's not official yet. Uh, Mary Jo Foley has reached out to the people at Microsoft and they haven't given a complete answer yet. However, there is a lot of framework in place to give administrators a chance to kind of defer some of the more disruptive pieces. Um, this is one of those things that I would have loved to do, say, to the Office uh, ribbon toolbar years and years ago. Uh, basically, the way that it works is, is that Microsoft is going to release the patch notes for these things months in advance and give administrators a huge heads up about what's coming and then give them the ability to block updates for a specific period of time in order to um, prep people for buttons moving around or login windows changing. Now, unlike I think with Windows 10, you are not allowed to indefinitely defer updates, and I'm pretty sure that Microsoft Dynamics is going to be the same way. Um, you can just put it off for, say, 90 or 180 days. Um, fingers crossed that this is going to help Dynamics, um, you know, get some new features, be a little bit more stable, make people happy. Um, I see this being one of the ways that a lot of application developers are going to start using the cloud to uh, justify having to basically rent software on a yearly basis. So have, here's hoping Microsoft is able to make that happen. Um, now, in other uh, chip news, because you know the rundown loves their chips, um, there's news out of China that AMD has partnered with a Chinese company to produce x86 chips. Um, they have cross-licensed their Zen platform to a Chinese manufacturer named Haigon. Um, they're making a chip called Diana, which is very similar to their Epic CPU. How similar, you might ask? Well, the Linux kernel developers have basically said that the only difference between the Diana and the Epic is the model numbers. They are functionally identical chips. Now, according to AMD, who has cross-licensed this x86 architecture from Intel, they didn't license the chips to China. They didn't sell those chips to China. 
And this is where it gets a little funny. So as you probably heard on the rundown, uh, when we discussed some Chinese companies in the past, the way that this works is China does not want to do business with American companies in a company that they own. I'm sorry. China does not want to do business with American companies in a company that the Americans own. And likewise, the Americans feel a little skittish about doing business with Chinese in a company that the Chinese own. So what they do is they set up these really weird cross-promotional companies. And so what we've got here is AMD owns 51% of a company called Haiwang Microelectronics Limited. I'm just going to call them HMC so I don't have to keep pronouncing that. Now, HMC makes the chips, and they own the x86 processor licensing. 51% of that company is owned by AMD. So that makes the, all the clean green stuff on the U.S. side of things A number one. Now, HMC works with Chengdu Haiyuang Integrated Circuit Design Company. That's Haigon, to make the Dayana chip, which is functionally identical to the Epic chip. Haigon is 70% owned by Chinese company. 30% is owned by AMD. So this means that HMC essentially works with Hygon to make that stuff happen. And that satisfies all the licensing requirements. Intel's not mad at AMD, but they now the Chinese have a homegrown source of x86 processors, which is critical according to a lot of Chinese analysts. Why? Because the Chinese feel that having a homegrown x86 platform is their key to succeeding. If they don't get that, they're going to have a lot of problems because as the trade war starts escalating between the U.S. and the Chinese and more and more things get put on that restricted or tariff list, um, you're going to start finding that getting things in and out without paying a high cost is going to be a huge problem in the future. And so this is probably going to be how things go in the future when it comes to doing business with the Chinese. Now, this actually brings up a very interesting point for those of you who have been watching the rundown. How is this going to affect Intel? Because we know Intel's had some issues as of late. Um, they've bet big in a couple of markets, and they haven't succeeded. And one of the markets that they haven't succeeded in, as much as they would have liked, is the ARM market. Are they going to start looking at partnering with a Chinese company to do more ARM development? And could they cut AMD out of the picture and directly license the x86 uh, IP to a Chinese company similar to Hygon using the same process. That will be very interesting to see. Um, Intel's very protective of x86, considering they they've essentially built their empire on it. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, speaking of Chinese companies, uh, Alibaba Cloud is in talks with British Telecom to partner on cloud services being offered in the UK. Now, this follows a similar agreement that they have in place in Germany with Vodafone. Um, Alibaba Cloud is, according to uh, Synergy, the fourth largest cloud provider in the world behind Amazon, Microsoft, and Google Compute Engine. Sorry, Larry Ellison, Oracle's still not quite there yet. Now, one of the things that analysts have been noticing recently is that Alibaba Cloud has been pulling back from the U.S. market, again, because of those um, tensions between the U.S. and the Chinese governments, and they've been refocusing to outside the U.S. areas. Now, why is that important, you might ask yourself? Well, as it turns out, for those of you who have never done business with cloud services in Europe, they have completely different rules. Data sovereignty, um, GDPR, there's a lot of ways that 
the working in the European market is very different than working in the US market. And right now, a lot of those people are buying their cloud services from Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. And Amazon is the 800 pound cloud gorilla in the market, but you still kind of have to do things Amazon's way. And one of the things is, is Amazon has a whole bunch of availability zones that are located here in the US. The US has some very interesting rules about the US government's ability to look at data that is being stored in the US, even if it's being passed between two companies who are not US based. And so that, that kind of scares people, especially if you live in a place like Germany. Germany has some of the strictest data sovereignty laws that I've ever seen. So Alibaba Cloud said, you know what, great, we're gonna have our own cloud, it's based in Europe, it's not gonna touch any US servers. And the way that they're leveraging this partnership is they're going out to the, the existing telcos, BT, Vodafone, this is exciting news for BT because, let's face it, when's the last time you heard about how awesome and exciting BT was? Same thing with Vodafone. They've kind of missed this cloud shift because, in part, it felt like a, an existential threat to them. So they're seeing a lot of their business going to places like Amazon. Well, how do you stop that? That's easy. You find a friend. And that's what Alibaba is essentially doing. Now, there's some talks and some rumors that potentially BT is going to sell off some of their IT services. Maybe Alibaba is willing to buy them. Um, that could be an interesting transformation in the future. Now, is Alibaba big enough to really lock horns with Amazon? Is anybody really big enough to take on Amazon? Um, that's only something that we can find out as we look through the future and we try to figure out exactly how Amazon is going to be able to uh, compete in markets that are not the U.S. And again, the way things are going in the global trade situation and things like that, that could have a huge impact on the way that things are going. So that'll be very interesting to figure out. All right. Um, that brings us to our probably our biggest story of the week. For those of you who are following along at home with some of the more um, interesting developments coming out of um, the storage world, um, you may have heard about a little company called Tentry. Um, Tentry's been around for quite a while. They make some really great products. Um, they've, they've really been big in the virtualization space. And we are one year removed from their IPO. So last, last the end of last June, Tentry filed for IPO. And they had a, a, a less than successful IPO. Let's, let's call it what it is. Um, they had to readjust their target. They actually had to delay the IPO initially. Then they had to readjust their IPO target. And then they managed to hit the very bottom of that target. So that's not only moving the bar, that's barely able to clear the lowest bar. So they raised about 60 million in IPO cash. And, and when they talked to the founder of Tentry, he was pretty frank about it. He said that Pure and Nutanix took most of the steam out of the market. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, that means you don't have a lot of cash to work with. And one of the ways you get cash is you sell stuff. And one of the ways you sell stuff is you have support for that stuff. And you have to make things and you have to, you know, basically raise money. And we found out in a recent quarterly filing that, Tentry is, in fact, not making any money. Um, their stock has slid to sub $1 levels, which means if you're a fan of NASDAQ, you're about to not be a fan of NASDAQ because once you've fallen below a dollar for a specific period of time, you will be delisted. That's when you get put into the junk stock status. Well, they got the, the Tentry got the delisting notification, uh, I think, about a week ago because in their latest quarterly filing, they said they did not have enough cash to continue operations through the end of June 2018. That's right. It literally took them a year to go from IPO to insolvent. So what happened is, is there was a massive round of layoffs. Um, by all accounts, right now, Tentry is down to 20 people. 
um, and they're all focused on reorganization because the Tentry board decided to file for bankruptcy on July the 6th. That's right, last Friday they said that we can't do this anymore. And so they filed for bankruptcy. And yesterday, no sooner did the ink get put on the contract for the bankruptcy, then they were purchased by Data Domain. That's right, Data Domain for an undisclosed amount purchased everything that Tentry had left, which from all accounts was really a whole lot of left over anyway. And so now Data Domain owns what's left of Tentry and Tentry no longer exists effectively. So what does this mean? Well, it's interesting because I talked to a couple of storage people in the, in the industry, uh, specifically uh, Matt Lieb and Stephen Foskett, and uh, they both said that, that Tentry had good products. It, it was not a problem of um, having a subpar product. The problem was is that it was really designed to take advantage of things like VVOLs and containers. And Tentry just couldn't make that pivot. And that's one of the things um, that we see a lot, not just in basketball and not just in IT, but in business in general. When the world pulls the rug out from underneath you, you have two options. You can land on your feet with a quick pivot. You can land on your head with a bad pivot. And that's kind of where this happened. Um, I feel like Tentry had a good solution but they just couldn't take advantage of where the storage market was going because um, one of the problems that we see, and we see this a lot with companies like Intel, we see this a lot with companies like Cisco and EMC, when you're very, very, very focused on the thing that's making you a ton of money and someone else develops a thing that is making them a lot more money, you don't really get a chance to move quickly. And then that becomes a huge problem for you because you're running as fast as you can to catch up to people who are beating you hands down and you're still having issues with your existing product lines with your customers that are buying those. That was one of the um, problems that people brought up about Tentry was that they effectively abandoned their EMEA uh, operations and now there's a whole bunch of people out there with Tentry arrays who are not gonna get support. Um, Data Domain will probably come up with some kind of a solution here. They'll probably offer support on those arrays. They'll offer a transition um, package to get people onto um, onto more current supportable hardware, uh, time's going to tell there. But this is another thing that um, people in the industry need to be aware of. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't take long for a company to go from top of the world to bottom of the heap. Um, you need to constantly be talking to your account managers. You need to constantly be talking to your support people and your partners. You need to ask them, what's going on? How are things looking? What, you know, what's the roadmap? Because typically the, the warning signs are on, on the wall as soon as the roadmap starts shrinking and they stop, develop, they stop delivering key features and instead start worrying about getting the money coming in the door every week or every month or every quarter. Um, and that's actually one of the things that's come up here recently uh, with uh, Michael Dell and their um, kind of going public thing again where they're actually um, buying out all of the existing tracking stock from VMware. Um, one of the reasons that I'd maintain that Michael Dell went private in the first place is, and he's admitted as much is that he absolutely hates answering to investors on a quarterly basis. Um, there's one thing that Michael Dell probably hates more than that, and that's being billions of dollars in debt. And so <clears throat> I think that with the Dell situation, what you've got is Michael Dell's willing to take a little bit of investor help on a regular basis. Um, in deference to being in debt or worse, uh, having an activist investor 
who is going to start dictating the way that things are going to be. Um, I'll uh, try to leave a comment here on the video, but there's actually a really good article that was shared by Stephen Foskett on Twitter about what happens when an activist investor decides that they want a piece of your company. And by a piece, I mean the whole thing. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the company Basho, um, one of their activist investors essentially sunk that company. And so um, there was some great discussion uh, that the investor ended up having to pay $20 million to the burned out husk that was Basho um, because they essentially blocked every funding source and wanted to keep the company for themselves in order to sell it off quickly. So on one side of the, in one side of it, you've got activist investors who basically take over your company. And on the other side, you've got a group of people who have all the best intentions in the world to sell the best product they can. And they just can't capitalize on that. And most companies are going to fall somewhere in the middle. And the question for you, whether you're a buyer or a, a person going to work for that company, is how do I make how do I make sure that I'm going to have something to hold on to in two years, in three years? And that's you know, that's research that you have to do and you have to find out. All right, uh, for those of you who are history buffs. Um, today, on this date, in June 11th, in 1804, um, a man named Aaron Burr had a small disagreement with another man named Alexander Hamilton. Um, shots were fired. Um, Alexander Hamilton was mortally wounded, um, later died. Aaron Burr went on to be vilified. He um, uh, trolled around in history until a Broadway musical was made out of it. So um, you guys can impress your friends with that fact that today is the day that Burr shot Hamilton. And... Uh, uh, I highly recommend you go out and listen to your favorite Hamilton musical uh, soundtrack, or uh, actually, if you can find the Weird Al version, the Hamilton polka, I highly recommend that one as well. Um, that's just going to do it for today for the uh, solo rundown with me, Tom Hollingsworth. Uh, remember, if you've missed any of this episode, if you've uh, missed any of our previous episodes, our full episodes are available on this Facebook page. Um, we have them available on our Gestalt IT YouTube channel as well. And now we also have an audio podcast for those of you who like listening to the dulcet tones of Rich and I whenever you're mowing the yard or doing the dishes. Um, we have a feed. So just search for the Gestalt IT Rundown in your favorite podcasting app. I highly recommend Overcast. It's one of the great ones out there. Marco Arment does a great job keeping it up. Plus, let's face it, anything that makes me sound faster is a good thing. Um, remember, you can catch us live here on Facebook every week at 12.30 Eastern time. Uh, we will start the, uh, the rundown. Rich and I will banter a little bit, and then we'll get right to those news stories that you like so much. Um, if you want to check out more great content, though, please make sure you head over to gestaltit.com. Uh, we have a lot of pieces that we write there, not just from us, but from a lot of guest authors. Uh, we cover a lot of topics. We talk about SD-WAN. We talk about storage. We talk about networking. Um, there's a veritable cornucopia of um, information out there that you can use to get ahead in your job and learn a little bit more about the world that you live in. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that. Uh, our Twitter handle is gestaltit. Um, uh, you, there's a lot of great content that's getting shared out there as well. Um, but for myself, for Tom Hollingsworth, for Rich Straffolino, my amazing and wonderful co-host, for all of us here at Gestalt IT, um, we want to bid you a fond adieu this week, and we hope that you have a super sparkly day. <laughs>